Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Joshua, the sixth book of the Bible found in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, chapter 14. I um, don't know if you make resolutions, but we're at that time of year where many of us think about resolutions. Um, I've discovered um, in an article this past week that the real key to making resolutions is making the kinds that you intend to keep, such as exercise less and eat more, spend more, save less, watch more TV, read less, the kinds of resolutions that you actually can keep. But before the ball drops tonight or we sing Auld Lang Syne or reminisce about the year, let's spend a few moments together in God's Word in the book of Joshua, starting in chapter 14. Uh, The chapters in view here, chapters 14 through 19, let me just orient you to the text, give a detailed description of the land distribution. It's the fulfillment of God's promise. He brought them out, as Exodus recalls, through great power from Egyptian bondage. They wandered in the wilderness as a punitive measure, and now the Lord has brought them in under the leadership of Joshua to the land that he had promised to the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this particular section of Scripture... um, If you have a read through the Bible plan and and you get into this kind of uh, passage of Scripture, sometimes it will feel like scriptural sermonex. It's a little tedious. It's a little difficult to wade through. And sometimes you wonder why this had to be in the Bible to begin with. But but I think there are some important things that you and I can learn from these kinds of sections of Scripture. In this section of Scripture, there are borders, towns, villages, and hamlets that are listed. In fact... There are 115 towns listed in Joshua chapter 15 alone. You'll be happy to know that we're not going to read those today. We'll take that up on another Sunday. In fact, uh, there's more towns, villages, and hamlets that follow in chapter 16, 17, 18, and 19. And on the surface, if you just flip through this, on the surface of this, it may appear about as exciting as reading towns and cities on the back of a Rand McNally map. But I want you to understand that even in these out-of-way places, in these ordinary events, these commonplace people and places, the hand of God is at work. Because there's something more in play here than an ancient geography lesson. Joshua illustrates in exact detail the fulfillment of all that God had promised to his people, beginning with Abraham repeated and reaffirmed to Isaac and to Jacob to give them a land and a place to call home. Hundreds of years later, Solomon would dedicate the temple and he would bow before the Lord and he would lift his hands toward heaven in the presence of God's people and he would thank God that there has not failed one word of his promise. And so all of these places and all of these towns and hamlets and villages are evidence that God has kept his word to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joshua illustrates in many ways the continued active presence of God. He had redeemed them and delivered them by great power out of Egypt. He had sustained them 40 years in the wilderness. He brings them into the land and he's still present with them and working to accomplish his plans and his purposes. But more than all of that, these chapters, Joshua 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 illustrate for us lessons of faith as we close one year and we open another year according to God's providence tomorrow. So would you follow with me as we begin in Joshua chapter 14 and 
just going to read verse 1, and then we're going to flip over to Joshua chapter 19 and read verse uh, 51. But we start in Joshua 14, verse 1. Now, these are the territories which the sons of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel apportioned to them for an inheritance. And then if you'll turn with me over to chapter 19, a lengthy chapter, and go to the end of the chapter, to verse 51, you'll read these words. These are the inheritances which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the households of the tribes of the sons of Israel distributed by Lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. If you were to put yourself in the place of these Israelites, I think you would take on a more immediate significance. You recall the time when you sought out your first apartment? Do you recall those days looking in the paper, maybe having some other um, renter's guide and traveling around town and looking at different apartments? I can remember those days. Melinda, my wife, and I... Um, Married in May 1982, May the 15th, 1982, and and uh, we began to look for an apartment, and we looked, and we looked, and we looked, and we found um, an apartment that was located on Poplar. It would be east of a state, east of Bennigan's. It would be adjacent to what is Bud Davis Cadillac. In fact, after we moved out, they tore the apartment complex down and uh, I think put in a Mercedes-Benz dealership in there, the old diplomat. But I remember those days of looking for a place and finding a place. And I remember the first night that I spent there, about 3 a.m. in the morning, a train comes through there. And uh, the first thing I thought was it must be a tornado because they sound like trains, so they say. Walls vibrating, dishes vibrating. I didn't realize that we were quite that close to it. A railroad track. I can remember the first house that we lived in. I still remember the address. I remember the house that we built in Florida. Remember the address. Remember surveying the foundation and taking pictures and watching the frame come up. And, and I still remember when that first mortgage payment came and what that felt like. Well, if you can put yourself in that kind of situation where you're looking for your place, a place that you can call home, then immediately these kinds of passages take on more significance. These chapters and these verses are more than a dry, dusty, ancient list of out-of-the-way forgotten places. They contain lessons of faith for them and for us. Do you ever compare yourself to other people? Do you ever wish you lived elsewhere? Ever long to relocate? Ever look across the fence of God's providence and wonder about greener grass elsewhere? Ever long for the big vacation, the bigger house, the latest model? You ever see people with those kinds of things and find yourself being moved to envy and perhaps your appetite stirred even further for more? You ever long to achieve something great, to be recognized, to be known, to be somebody? Well, these kinds of chapters, and these chapters in particular, address all of those kinds of issues and more. And they answer those kinds of questions by reminding us first this morning that God works in commonplace events and in commonplace places. In ordinary places, in ordinary circumstances, 
in the matter-of-fact routine at life, God is still very much at work. In fact, God's fulfillment of this covenant purpose of His, this grand scheme of redemption, the grand scheme to fully conform us and finally conform us to the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ often takes place in matter-of-fact places and events. God is accomplishing His purpose in this dry, dusty list of ancient places and forgotten places and in forgotten people. If you'll turn back to Joshua chapter 15 for just a moment, um, you'll be... um, Pleased to know, relieved to know that we're not going to read all these towns and places. But but go down to uh, Joshua chapter 15, verse 21. Joshua 15, verse 21. Now the city is at the extremity of the tribe of the sons of Judah. Toward the border of Edom in the south were Kabzil, Eder, and Jager. And then look at all those names that follow. Difficult names to pronounce. But they are... Reminders that God works His will in forgotten places through ordinary people. That God accomplishes His plan and His purpose in matter-of-fact places and in matter-of-fact events. The land belonged to the Lord. And He was given it by grace in fulfillment of His promise to Abraham and in accord with His eternal purpose in Jesus Christ. Ordinary places, but God very much present. And God very much at work. And as you and I think about the events of this past year, there have been some dramatic moments. There have been some hurtful moments. There have been some heartbreaking failures and some deep hurts and traumas. But much of this past year has been what Melinda and I refer to as the grind. We've been on vacation and we're about to go back to the grind on January the 2nd. You know, the ordinary routine of of uh, getting up and making breakfast and off to school and off to work and coming back at the end of the day and, and repeating the same routine day after day and day after day. The routine, the ordinary. God's very much at work in the routine and in the ordinary. This section is not nearly as exciting as, as uh, the, the escape of the spies in Jack Bauer fashion. In chapter 2 of the book of Joshua, it's not nearly as exciting as the imploding of the walls in Jericho by God's divine intervention in chapter 6. It's not nearly as thrilling as discovering the sin in chapter 7 of Achan and all that was involved in that. But I can tell you that God was just at much at work in surveying the land and in distributing the land just as much at work in fulfilling his promise and his purpose as in the more exciting events that took place earlier in the book. God works in the eight to five rhythms and routines of life. He does it in my family, in my life. He does it in your life and in your family. Let's face it, much of life feels routine, looks routine, is routine. We set the alarm clock and we get up. We live in a neighborhood. We drive to work. We have children. We change diapers. We help with homework, cook meals, do dishes, go to school and sports events. All fairly routine activities. There's no end to the ordinary and the commonplace. And I submit to you today that that's largely the place of God's sanctifying grace in your life. As in the routines of 2006. And in the routines of the coming year, according to God's providence and purpose. When Israel went into captivity in Jeremiah chapter 
29, the Lord speaks through his prophet to them. And he says this to them while they're in Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons that they may bear sons and daughters. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. In its welfare, you will have welfare. In its peace, you will have peace. The Lord tells them a very ordinary thing. While you're in Babylon, build a house and live in it. Marry and have children. And give your sons and daughters to others so that they may have children. And while you're there, pray for the city. Because in the peace of the city, you also will have peace. Very ordinary things. Very commonplace things. Very routine things. But God very much at work in those ordinary places. And in the common events of life. Fulfilling His covenant. His covenant purpose and His will in their lives. God works sometimes in dramatic, exhilarating ways. We see his arm bared and we marvel at his power and his goodness. But he also works in silent, subtle ways. And the scripture bears this out. Let me just give you some very quick examples. He speaks to Abraham and calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And he says, I'm going to show you a land. I want you to follow me. And the Lord brings him to this land that we now call or the Bible calls Canaan. And he says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you an heir. That's pretty dramatic. And he has him to look at the stars of the heavens. And he says, if you can count the stars, you'll be able to count the descendants that are going to come from you. But between Genesis chapter 16 and chapter 17, there are 13 years of silence. No record of any extraordinary activity. Just the promise. Followed by very ordinary life and commonplace events and commonplace people. But God steadily advancing his purpose through those ordinary days. I'll give you another example. The Lord gives Joshua a very dramatic vision of what his future is going to be. I said, I say Joshua meant Joseph. Joseph is 17. He gives him a vision. And then he's... Sold into slavery. Talk about a dysfunctional family. His brothers betray him and sell him into slavery and go back and tell Jacob, um, is this your son's garment? And they watch their father grieve for over 20 years, mourn the loss of his son. Joseph goes down to Egypt and from 17 to age 30, a very tortured experience, a very grinding experience, separated from father and family. But there are 13 years there before he stands before Pharaoh and reveals a plan and a purpose. 13 years. What about someone like Daniel, who's in captivity in Babylon for over 60 years, and yet you can read the 12 chapters of Daniel in less than 30 minutes. It encompasses over 60 years, and there are a handful of occasions in there in which God does some extraordinary and dramatic things. But 12 chapters covering... Over 60 years. What about the life of Jesus? The last we hear of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke prior to his baptism at age 30 is at age 12. He's in the temple. But there is followed 18 years of silence. Silence, which I think is rather instructive. Nothing known about Jesus from age 12 to age 30. 18 years. We do know that he was a small town carpenter. 
employed in commerce and business and making things and building things and selling things and accounts receivable and accounts payable and difficult customers and occasionally hitting your thumb with a hammer. Ordinary life. Ordinary life. And yet God was very much at work in the ordinary, the routine, and the commonplace events. Jesus knew plenty about ordinary things. When he wanted to teach powerful lessons about the kingdom of God, he used something as small as a mustard seed and said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It will grow exponentially. When he wanted to talk about the pervasive influence of the kingdom, he used something as simple as as a, a leaven in a barrel of meal that transforms and changes the barrel of meal. When he wanted to talk about conversion and how the kingdom of God advances in submitted hearts, He talked about a farmer sowing seed and that seed bringing forth fruit. When he wanted to teach us about worry and anxiety and anxious care, he pointed us to the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Ordinary things, ordinary life, commonplace events. But God very much at work in the ordinary. Very much at work in things like land surveys and land distribution. Very much at work in your life. Very much at work in my life. From this kind of list today, we learn that God works in ordinary things, ordinary places, ordinary people. People like you and people like me. But we learn something more, and that is that God is Lord over commonplace events and places. Turn over to Joshua chapter 18 for just a moment. Joshua chapter 18, the middle of the chapter. They've surveyed the land and they're dividing up the land. And in Joshua 18, verse 10, Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the sons of Israel according to their divisions. Lest we become myopic and lose our perspective by focusing exclusively on the commonplace, we're reminded that God is Lord over the commonplace. This is a kind of a remarkable text. Um, Casting lots would be something like rolling dice for us today. What a secular thought that God would give them the land and they'd send out teams to survey the land and then it would all come down to the roll of dice as to where you would live. You know, the real lesson here is that Lord, that God is Lord over the commonplace events, even the casting of lots or rolling of dice. In Joshua 19.51, we read there also that These are the inheritances which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the households distributed by lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing the land. God placed them. Here's what's being taught. God placed them exactly where he wanted them. They surveyed the land, but God put them exactly where he wanted them to be, not according to personal preference. What a grand lesson for us to learn in 21st century, individualized, materialistic America. That God is still in control of all things. Even the rolling of dice and the casting of lots and where you live and where you work and where you go to school and where you play. In the division of the land, there was a division of labor. Some of the land was located on rocky hillsides. Some of it was in lush and verdant plains. Some of it was shallow soil where not much would grow. Other places were well watered and fertile. Some of the places were right in the middle of trade routes. And other places were 
what we would call backwater towns, obscure, hidden places. And when it came time for Israel to settle into the land, it was the Lord who placed them exactly where he wanted them to be. Some would farm, some would fish. Some would be involved in commerce. Some would tend sheep and raise cattle. But God was Lord over all of that. And there's so much in our lives as well that's determined by the lot of God, determined by the hand of God. He's placed you this past year, and He will place you this coming year in exactly the places He wants you to serve Him for His honor and His glory. He will place you in the right neighborhood, the right place of employment. He will place your children in the right school so that the kingdom of our God and the glory of Christ might be advanced. There's very little, when we think of it, that we actually have control over. God's providence has provided much of the shaping influences of our lives, parents and home, education and talents, experience and work. Many of the decisions uh, regarding us were made without our input. God determined them. The color of your eyes, the shape of your face, your nationality, the first language that you spoke, your height. And basic proportion, all of those things determined by the providence and purpose of God, your gender, where you were reared, all of those kinds of things determined by God. And listen, we can rage against that. We can resist that. We can reject that. And we can take the place of of the clay attempting to tell the potter what to do. We can take the place of the clay accusing the potter of having no understanding and of not knowing how to manage the affairs of our lives. Or we can take the place of submission and humility and bow before the sovereign Lord and say, Father, you know best. My life has been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have shaped me and providentially prepared me. You place me exactly where you want me to be. So that I may best serve and honor you. If I could go a step further, God has given you the children he wants you to have as well. You know, I thought about that. I thought about the the little boy that kept asking his father for this and that and this and that. And every answer was no. And finally, the little boy in anger said, you know, I didn't ask to be born. And the father said, that's right, son. Because if you had, the answer would have been no to that, too. Well, you know what? God's given us the children that he wants us to have. We didn't pick their gender. We didn't pick their appearance. We didn't pick their native scholastic aptitude or their natural athletic ability. All of those things determined according to divine design. Because God not only works through the routine, the commonplace events and places, but he's Lord over the commonplace events and circumstances of our lives as well. And here the danger of covetousness and complaint are more clearly seen. This past year, we may have complained against the very place that God has ordained, the very season of life that he's brought us into, the very crucible of pressure which he has used to forge us into people of faith and dependency, and not of self-reliance, but of God dependency and reliance. We may complain against the very person or persons whom God has chosen to use in our lives to refine us or encourage us or sanctify us further. And if we're not careful, we may be biting the, with bitter complaint, the hand of God's providence. In Genesis 37, 
Joseph was sold into Egypt, betrayed by his brothers, 17 years of age, sold as a slave. He goes to Potiphar's house. But four times in Genesis chapter 37, it says repeatedly, but the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him when he was sold into Egypt and went into Potiphar's house and there served as a servant. The Lord was with him when he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and cast into dungeon, into the prison. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him when he was enthroned into Pharaoh's palace. The Lord was with him. God was Lord over the events and circumstances of his life and got him exactly where he wanted him to be. Can you and I say truthfully today with the psalmist in Psalm 16, verse 5, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Can we truthfully say that? That the lot that God has given me has fallen in a beautiful place because it came from the Lord's hand. If we can't say that today, may God grant us grace so that we can say it. May he grant us grace to see his hand and to be grateful for all that he's doing in us and will do through us according to the praise of his grace and glory. Well, we can say the lines have fallen to us in pleasant places when we really believe that God works in commonplace events and places. And the nine to five routines and rhythms of life. We can say the lines have fallen to us in pleasant places when we believe that God is Lord over commonplace events and places. And you know what? We can really say it when we believe that God is good to us in all of those commonplace events and places. This past year, the class I teach on Sunday morning... The first hour, we spent about eight or nine weeks in the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, talking and studying and reflecting on God's common grace goodness to us. In ordinary ways, a a fall afternoon in Knoxville, watching Tennessee thrash somebody is a common grace goodness. Um, Well, it is at my house. (laughs) Watching them thresh Penn State tomorrow will be a common grace goodness at my house. Um, The taste of food, which I love too much, and it shows, is a common grace goodness. Family gathered around a tree at Christmas, a commonplace goodness. Coming to work for me at Gracie Van, even with ruffians like Bill Seeley, is a commonplace goodness. What a sanctifying influence you are in my life, Bill. <laughs> you and I, you know, there's a hymn that, that I used to, I remember singing a kid growing up, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one. We only sang them on the Sunday before after Thanksgiving. But it says, Count Your Blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You reflect over your, your life this past year, you will see the goodness of God shine through. Even in the midst of tears and heartache, And disappointment, the sweetness of Christ, the comfort of his spirit. To know that your life is held firmly and securely in the palm of an almighty, ever-loving, all-wise, infinite God. That you're not left to random forces, fate and karma and chance. But you're sustained and upheld by the power of the thrice holy God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit.
is a good thing. It's a great thing. And the allocation of the land by lot in the text this morning is an earthy, no pun intended, is an earthy reminder that God is good to his people. No one missed out. No one got a raw deal. No one was treated unfairly or unjustly. More important than the land, though, was the Lord of the land who said, I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. And as you walk before me, there will be plenty to eat. There will be rain in its seasons. In fact, your barns will burst with plenty. And when we consider the goodness of God to us, truly we can say the lot has fallen to us in pleasant places. God allocated the land by lot according to his purpose and not their preference. Proverbs 16.33 says the lot is cast into the lap of the Lord and it's every decision is from the Lord. Every roll of the dice determined by him. You remember that when you go to Tunica this coming year, would you? But you're not left <laughs> to chance and luck. The Lord is forbidding you from winning down there in that roll of the dice. When they allocated the land, God was revealing his kindness, revealing his goodness in tangible ways. I read this past week uh, in some morning devotional time in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. And I made a little note. There's a a, a man by the name of Abraham Kuyper. He was prime minister of uh, Holland, the Netherlands at one time, and and a theologian and a prolific author and writer. And um, and I made this little note when I read that. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and all they that dwell therein. Abraham Kuyper said there's not a single atom or molecule, in anything anywhere in this universe, over which Christ has not said, you are mine. You are mine. And all of your life, this past year, he has stamped, you are mine. And his goodness has shone brightly through all of that. The Lord knew exactly what he was doing when he put each tribe in their place, in their proper location, in the right spot. The good life in America, uh, according to Google, I Googled this for a Sunday school lesson recently, the good life. The good life in America is measured by comfort, ease, and wealth. In other words, it's measured by money. And I wonder sometimes if I'm not so infected by temporal values that I've not temporalized the gospel and made it all about me when it really is all about him. The good life, according to the scripture, is the life that's lived in humble submission and simple obedience and dependence upon the Lord and his purpose. You ever battle boredom and long for more adventure? Just remember this coming year that God works in commonplace events in common place places through ordinary people. In ordinary circumstances. You ever struggle for contentment? Ever wish you were somebody else or could be like somebody else? Ever peer over the fence of God's providence and wonder about greener grass somewhere else? Just remember the lot has fallen to you in a pleasant place. And serve the Lord where he's placed you with joy and gladness and trust his providence. You ever struggle with anger and wonder why and Struggle with envy and wonder why. Just remember, God is good in ordinary places, commonplace events. See, the truth is, if you'll turn back to Joshua 15 in closing. Joshua chapter 15, again, verse 21. The border of Edom in the south. In verse 21, Kabzil, Eder, Jager, Kenna, Demona, 
and so on and so on. God was working in those places. And he works where you live, too. And he works where you work and where you go to school. And he works in the disappointments as well as in the successes. He works in the failures as well as in the seasons of unprecedented blessing and plenty. God works in land surveys and land allocation and the casting of lots. And he works in your life and in your family. And these passages like this, the text today, remind us that nothing in our lives is outside the dominion of God in this coming year. Nothing outside the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes God works by providing escape routes for spies in Joshua chapter 2. Sometimes he works by imploding walls like he did at Jericho in chapter 6. But often he works in commonplace circumstances to further his plan and purpose in our lives. He did then. He does now. And he will in this coming year. Fathers, we bow before you in closing this morning in prayer. We thank you and praise you for your wise and holy ordering of all things in our lives this past year. And as we've been reminded this morning, you are the fount of every blessing. You're the source of all good. From you comes every good and perfect gift. And there is no variableness, no shadow of turning with you. Might our hearts be filled with praise and gratitude as we close 2006 on this last Lord's Day. And might our hearts be filled with an expectant faith that you will yet work in us and through us in this coming year to accomplish all your good pleasure in Christ and through Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.